Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Good morning to all of you. We have visitors here today. So happy to have you. We're studying Romans 14. I guess you see that displayed. And you can follow along in your Bible. Romans is a difficult book. Chapter 14 is a difficult chapter. Steps on our toes sometimes because it is easy not to like people who are not like us. I like people who are like me, don't you? Somebody radically different, we have to work. Ask you a question. If you had a neighbor who ate cats and dogs for dinner, how would you feel about that neighbor? Eh, I guess I could get get to liking him. You need to, of course. Because cats and dogs, while they're not food for you and me, they are food. Visit Italy. In the northern part of Italy, you can walk down the street, pass a particular restaurant and smell it. You might say, well, I love to smell restaurants. Well, what about those restaurants dedicated to horse meat? I don't like to smell them. The farther you go south, the worse it is. Southern Italy, it's horse meat all over the place. I don't eat horses. But I can't afford not to like people who don't, who do. Because that's their business. This is what Romans 14 is about. It's about taking something that is not a sin, but something that we detest, and tolerating that thing we detest when it's not a sin. We don't draw fellowship lines over matters of opinion. We live and worship with people who are different from us. That's the way it has to be. The real problems in the early church were circumcision. There were those who were circumcised, those who were not. Some circumcised for religious purposes. They got over that, but they were still circumcised. Things offered to idols. Celebration of days. And all that. Things that are radically different. Men, I want to ask you something. How would you like, well, I shouldn't do this, we're old in here. But when you were a young man, how would you like to have dated a woman that was radically different from you in her diet? She ate only vegetables. Well, you say that's her business. She's a great girl. I like to date her. But what if you got into your house and she said, no bacon, no sausage, no ham in my kitchen? Uh-oh, we got a problem. Got a real problem. I think I'll just... Disfellowship you. I can't imagine a man in Lick Skillet, Alabama, or Big Cove, Alabama, 
tolerating a woman like that. But those things do happen. Incidentally, visitors, there is a lick skillet, Alabama. And there's a big cove, Alabama. Big cove, Alabama, was created by God in Genesis. Hampton Cove was put in there by Huntsville just a few years ago. I live in Big Cove. I don't live in Hampton Cove. I really don't. I can stand on my lot and throw a stone over into Hampton Cove, but I live in Big Cove. I'm kind of proud of that. But we're different. We're old-fashioned. And there are certain things we don't tolerate that we should tolerate. And that's what Romans 14 is all about. (laughs) That was a theologian back in the uh, 5th century that is called St. Augustine. I don't call him saint. I don't even call Peter and Paul saint. But he's known in history as St. Augustine. The uh, greatest theologian allegedly of that period. Great scholar. Well, he's the one that dug out of the Bible the millennium, the thousand year reign. He's the one that dug out of the Bible the original sin. And Adam and Eve transferred their sins to their children. And their children transferred their sins to their children. And we're all born in sin. That's what Augustine taught. And it didn't last a long time, but it was revived in the Dark Ages. As we were coming out of the Dark Ages, there are many who believe that. Augustine taught many things that were true, many things that were not true. But listen to what he said here. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. You that are members of the Church of Christ and know the Restoration Movement say, well, that's what Martin Stone said. That's what Alexander Campbell said. We need to just go back to the Bible. Don't make a difference in things the Bible doesn't make a difference in. Be at liberty with things that are not wrong. You might not do them, but others do, and they're all right. And that is all right. And thank you, Augustine, for making that observation anyway. Now let's go to Romans 14, verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. <laughs> I got this guy that's, he, he's, he eats cats for breakfast. We're going to get him in the church. Here's a Christian. We're going to convert him. What do you mean you're going to convert him? He's already converted. No, no, we're going to convert him from cats to ham. Why are you going to do that? Well, it's wrong to eat cats. Who said? I did. Well, God didn't. Incidentally, I have many friends who used to eat cats and dogs there in the Far East. I'm going to see them again real soon. I've eaten at their table. I look carefully when I go there to see what the meat looks like, and sometimes I really don't know. I think I told you one time I sat down with a man, and he said, uh, Brother Andrews, do you eat cats? I said, uh, not if I know it. He said, well, I just wanted to know. <clears throat> I still don't know. Whatever it was, it was pretty good, though. One who is weak in the faith. In those days, and it's hard for us to get back there, but I want to get back there if we can. In those days, there were many in the church who came out of Judaism. Most of them did, as a matter of fact. 
And they clung to those things of Judaism. Circumcision, they even taught it was essential. And that's wrong to teach it's essential. They refused to eat certain meats that had been offered to idols and so forth. And that's all right to make that choice. Nothing wrong with not eating meats. But that's what they were doing. But they were considered weak in the faith. There were pagans who had become Christians. And they had their own stuff going on. They had all sorts of food preferences and so forth. And uh, Paul says, uh, these things do not make a difference. And didn't say this, but it's only because of the ignorance of people like us and selfishness that we can't tolerate that. Look at verse 2. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Now that's a blanket statement. You like ham? I know some people who think it's a sin to eat ham. And if I ate around them, I would not eat, I would not carry ham to their meals. Just wouldn't do that. I think that would be wrong. But it's not wrong for me to eat ham. I don't eat much of it, by the way. I like it, but I try to stick to fish and chicken. Fish primarily. I know that's all right for my body. Ham is not all right for my body. Bacon is not all right for my body, but the big sign down at uh, Huddle House says, bacon is my favorite food group. I, uh, I kind of like that sign for some reason. I don't know why. But ham, there's nothing better than bacon, I don't guess. And I try to eat at least once or two, one or two pieces per week. But uh, one believes he may eat all things, that is all meats and vegetables and so forth but don't judge the person who believes that and don't judge the person who says no we can't do that we must eat only vegetables don't judge that or I must can't bind that on me but don't judge that person say I've got to convert him because you don't these things are non-essentials grant liberty only when one eats something that violates God's law can we make an issue of it? I'm going to quickly make a point here. All things may be eaten of us. That's not so. We're not at liberty to eat marijuana. Say, so I never heard of anybody eating marijuana. Well, you've never been to Jamaica, I don't guess. I don't believe we should eat opioids. I don't believe we should eat methamphetamines. There's no liberty here. Those are mind-altering drugs. I never will forget the old gentleman in Jamaica when I was teaching a Bible class. He stood up and said, Brother Andrews, there's nothing wrong with ganja. That's marijuana. Nothing wrong with it. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, we can smoke it or eat it if we want to. I said, that is not right. And he and I had a long discussion. He was much older than I. I'd known him for many years. Great man he was. The wife told me after the class, said, Brother Andrews, he's, he's just not right. I thought he never has been right because he's always believed that. That's not true. It is a sin to take those things. Paul is not talking about things here that are sinful. He's talking about things that are matters of opinion. 
And he said, everything is legal to eat. That is, everything that is that I don't think is legal or I don't eat it can be legal too. But not these things that are mind-altering drugs. It's just the way it is. Who are you to judge another servant? If John wants to eat horses, let him eat it. I really probably wouldn't go to his table. If I went to his home, I'd take my own ham with me and sit in the corner and eat it. To his own master, he stands or fails or falls. Indeed, he will, indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. And then in verse four, verse five, one person seems one day above another. Another seems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat, and he gives God thanks. Now, Paul doesn't comment on what he means by esteeming one day above another. The Jewish Christians could have taken this as a... uh, as a right of theirs to esteem one day. They could, for example, let me give an example here. They could in all good conscience, in all good Christian conscience say, we remember uh, in April when our ancestors came out of Egypt and they observed the Passover. And we're going to pause on that day to remember the great thing they accomplished. We're going to keep that day in our minds. But here's where it gets bad. Here's where it's wrong. In celebration of the Passover for a long time, even to now, there were five cups of wine served, four cups here, and one cup on the table during Seder, the Passover feast. The one cup on the table had a specific purpose because they they would leave the door open because they believed Elijah would come in and drink from that cup. They couldn't see him, but he would drink from the cup. That would be a sign that the Messiah, the Christ, is coming. And even today, sometimes that cup is set, and one of the children is assigned to watch that cup to see if it moves. Because Elijah's lips, when he touches it, might move the liquid in it. And that's a sign of the coming of Christ. If there are a brother or sister here that believes that, then he needs to be dealt with. That's sinful. The reason it's sinful is because Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago. Now somebody here might say, I just appreciate the the April, that day when when those people came out of Egypt and, and went to Canaan land and so forth and received the law first. I appreciate that and I pause on that day and think of it. Okay, go ahead and do that. But don't set the cup of grape juice out there and see if it shakes when Elijah's lips touches it. That becomes sinful. See, Paul didn't describe all that, but we should understand it. Now, here's a personal thing of mine. You have personal things too. One of my favorite days of the year is December 25th. I love, I've always loved December 25th. I love it from way back when I was a child, when I received gifts when we had great meals and so forth. But I have never observed it as the birthday of Christ. 
First of all, and here's some big cold language, but I'll use it anyway. First of all, it ain't. Jesus Christ was not born on December 25th. Secondly, he never told us to keep his birthday for anything. Now, what about when I hear the Christmas song, so to speak, when I hear somebody talk about Christmas, uh, talk about the birth of Christ on December 25th, I'm not offended. I've been preaching since 1963, and sometimes I preach a sermon on the birth of Christ nearest Christmas because people have their minds there. There's nothing wrong with that. What is wrong with it is if I get up and say, Jesus Christ was born on this day and we must respect him on this day because of his birth. That becomes a sin. I cannot tell you to keep that day on that account. I cannot do it because it isn't true. It must not be true. I like to hear people talk about Jesus' birth any time of the year. If that happens to fall on December 25th, I'll listen. In the mid-90s, I was over in Ukraine teaching at a university. I would go home in the afternoon after a hard day's work and turn the television on. My favorite channel came out of London. It was a cartoon channel. Uh, I watched the Flintstones, the Jetsons, and some others. That was my favorite because they spoke English. All the other channels I have spoke, had spoke Russian. I love to hear the English voices. But I was over there the 1st of December. I got to watching the uh, programs, and a commercial came on. I want you to get it. A commercial came on and said, Are you tired of this peace on earth, goodwill to men stuff? You just stay with us over the holidays, and we won't get into that junk. That offended me. You know, that offended me. I didn't appreciate it at all. It was atheistic to me. I don't like for anybody to play down the Lord. And if they had said he wasn't born this day, I'd have said hallelujah. But they hated him. I have a preacher friend. <clears throat> Once a year, he conducts a service, or used to in the church where he preached, on remembering Jesus. The song leader sang, O Little Town of Bethlehem, Away in a Manger, and songs like that. And he preached a sermon on the birth of Christ. But this was in the summertime. And the title of his sermon was, Let Us Put Christ Back into July 4th. I kind of like that. We need to put Christ back into every day, and that was his point. Not just December 25th. Now Paul admonished the Galatians in Galatians 4 in a very different way. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not God's. But now that after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire Again, to be in bondage. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid of you lest I bestowed upon you labor in vain. What was he talking about? He just said here in Romans that don't judge a man by the day he keeps. He keeps it to the Lord or he does not keep it to the Lord, whatever. 
And here with the Galatian Christians, he said, I'm afraid of you because I might have labored in vain because you observe these things. What was he talking about? Signs in the sky, maybe? Fortune telling, uh, perhaps? But whatever he was talking about in Galatians 4, he was not talking about in Romans 14, 6. Different. And I wish he had defined it, but he didn't. Uh, anyway, there is a difference. We can keep days in a fashion that is sinful. Very obviously so here. We can keep days in a fashion that's not sinful. And we must make that choice. Verse 7. For none of us lives to himself or dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. We don't do anything unless we know that we can do it for the Lord. That's what Paul is saying. Whatever you do, do it for the Lord. If you can't do it for the Lord, don't do it. Therefore, whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead. And I like that. Lord of the living and the dead. And I remembered something in Matthew chapter 22, 32, where God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but the living. So God is saying even the dead are living. And I love that. I believe that. Romans 14, 10. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us must give an account to himself of himself to God. We're accountable to our elders in this church, but we're ultimately accountable to God. Our ultimate accountability is to God. We're not accountable to anybody before God. We're accountable to each other, but not before God. It sounds like somebody says that since we can't judge our brother, we can't discipline our brother. Well, be very careful here. Because Jesus said in Mark 16, 17, Mark them that cause divisions, have no fellowship with them. That's just how it is. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And elders have a responsibility, incidentally, of looking into the congregation and seeing things that are not right. These are not matters of opinion. They're not right. And elders are to correct them in one fashion or the other. It must be the case. There was an agnostic back in the 19th century. In fact, he died in 1899. Named Robert Ingersoll. Robert Ingersoll, when I think of standing before God, I think of him. Because here's what he said. He said, if Jehovah had been civilized, how much greater, grander the Ten Commandments would have been. Can you imagine? I'm going to translate that. I'm smart enough to know that the Ten Commandments could have been grander than they are. God was not smart enough to know that. He was not as civilized as I am. He would have written them different. This man's going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I cannot help but think of Stephen Hawking, I think of him because he was a great physicist. 
And he knew, he knew the universe entirely, at least he said he did. He, he understood black holes, but he didn't understand God Almighty. He died in 2018 of Lou Gehrig's disease. And here's what he said. I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There's no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. This is fairy story for people who are afraid of the dark. Stephen, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And then as I think of Robert Ingersoll, agnostic, Stephen Hawking, atheist, buried in a church cemetery, Collegiate Church of St. Peter at Westminster in London. I think of another man. And this is more terrifying. To stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I think of James Andrews. Because I'll stand with them. It's a very serious thing. Verse 13 Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore in these matters of opinion, but rather resolve to do this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Tolerate a judgment that is not like your judgment. Tolerate dog on the table, on somebody else's table, if he wants it. Tolerate those things. They're not sinful in themselves. You might say, it'd be wrong for me to eat that. Don't eat it. That's sinful to you, but don't eat it. Let your brother eat it. A cause to fall. A word we've talked about before. It simply means, and here's the basic picture. It is a, it is a place that is very, very attractive, a thing that's very, very attractive. And you go in there, you go into that place very attractive, there's a trigger in there, and it collapses on you and you die. That's what the people in the hills of Tennessee used to call a deadfall. It's exactly how that cause to fall. That's the way it's translated. It's what it is. Don't put a cause to fall in our brother's way. Don't trick him into coming to be a part of you so you can kill him when he does. Learn to tolerate his differences with you so long as they're judgmental differences. Let it be so. I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. There's no animal that's unclean of itself. That is unclean in a spiritual sense. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. That's just plain. If a brother or sister believes that they can't eat ham, don't put it on the table when they're at your place because they might feel socially obligated to do it, to eat it. And as you eat it and enjoy it, they take it and enjoy it. It is a sin for them to do it. It's what that scripture says. You mean they sinned when they, yes, they sinned when they ate it. That's what it says. There's nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, 
to him it's unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. You don't love him if you do that. Do not, uh, do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. That's a little sacrifice for your brother's salvation because he points out here that you destroy him if you lead him into that sin. We need to think about that, of course. Therefore, do not let your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Tell you one thing, if I don't get my ham sandwich, I'm just not right. If I don't have my bacon, I know my brother's coming that don't believe in bacon, but I'm going to serve bacon anyway because if I don't get it, I'm going to be unhappy. Paul said, shame on you. Don't you do that. This is not right. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Christians are not supposed to be trying to pick a fight. I don't invite my brother in who doesn't eat bacon and say, look here. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard because the Bible right here says it's all right. I want you to do it because the Bible says it's all right. Violates his conscience. He grew up that way. It's embedded in him. And we all know what that means. Don't do it. In verse... uh, 20, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. That is, the person who eats through stumbling. He eats it, but he stumbles. He's in the deadfall. He eats it, and the trap drops on him. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles. Or is offended. Or is made weak. Hmm. I uh, have a brother who uh, does not believe it's wrong to to drink wine. And uh, I have a brother who believes it is. And the brother who drinks wine should not do that in the presence of a brother who does not drink wine because it might offend him. Hmm, got a problem here. Well, here's one way I begin to solve the problem. If I go to a party, which I don't, unless it's a wedding party, and drinks are served that I don't appreciate, I won't drink grape juice at that party because somebody might think it's red wine. I won't do it. I want to talk about wine just a minute. Oinos. O-I-N-O-S. The Bible, New Testament or Old Testament, never uses the word grape juice. That phrase is not in there. Anything connected with a grape, any liquid connected with a grape is called wine. The Old Testament talks about wine in a cluster. (laughs) They're growing on the vine. He said, there's wine in there. And of course, in the New Testament, (laughs) wine was a big thing was a good way of getting food. Good way of getting liquid. And the best wine 
course, you know how wine began to be made. They'd throw the grapes into a vat, get the vat full, and then people get in there with their feet. <clears throat> I've always hoped that their toenails were cleaned out real good. Get in there with their feet and tread it out. And the wine would run out. It was wine that ran out. And then they would put that wine to use by drinking it or putting it up or sometimes letting it ferment or whatever. The best wine was made when the vat was full of grapes. The feet had not gotten in there yet and the wine was trickling out. It was the sweetest and the best. It was the ripest. Was it intoxicating? Absolutely not. It was grape juice. Just plain grape juice. And I want to tell you something. I never tell anybody I drink wine, but according to that, I do. I drink it every night. Grape, pure grape juice. I hate the taste of any intoxicated beverage. I have tasted red wine. I hate it. I got a whole summit of party one time in Jamaica, wedding party, and I killed the grass around me by spitting it out. It's repulsive to me. And I don't think Christians should drink intoxicating beverages. Not a matter of opinion here. It's a matter of what God says. But the point is this. Anytime you look at wine in the Bible... You cannot tell in the New Testament, especially if it's intoxicating or not intoxicating. Jesus turned water into wine. I don't believe for the life of me he made an intoxicating beverage. The people there had taken much wine and then he did all this. He made the best wine and got them drunker. Doesn't, I probably should say more drunk. I'm not sure drunker doesn't sound right. Doesn't sound right that Jesus would do that. The best wine was the wine you, I've already described it. The kind you got out when the grapes were first put in the vat. Wonderful taste, sweet taste, and that's what mine tastes like that comes from Walmart. In a big jug. I learned a long time ago that those who believe that wine is good for you, that intoxicating wine is good for you, my doctor told me that's the case, but he said the intoxication is not what's good for you. It's what's in the wine that's good for you. And he said, grape juice has the same thing in it. I said, thank you, doctor. I'm going to drink it every night before I go to bed, and I do. I drink pure grape juice every night before I go to bed. And a person who becomes drunken on wine or anything else is violating a principle of the Bible. That's not a matter of opinion. It's a matter of what God said. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. wonder why he had to tell Timothy that. Timothy probably abstained from grape juice. Probably abstained from those things of a grape. I don't know that he did, but Paul said it's all right. And incidentally, there are some stomach problems, and I've had the experience, that can be cured by grape juice. And I love it. I want us to look at number six just a minute. This is powerful. Number six, verse three. Speak to the children of Israel, 
say to them, when either a man or woman consecrates an offering to take a vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord. I'm going to stop right here. The word Nazarite is not the same as Nazarene. It has nothing to do with the city. The, the Hebrew word is Nazir, which means to vow, to vow to holiness or devotion. That's all it means. A person who takes that vow, takes the Nazarite vow to separate himself to the Lord. He shall separate himself with wine and similar drink, or from wine and similar drink. He shall neither drink vinegar made from the wine, nor vinegar from a similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice, nor, that's not King James, nor eat any fresh grapes or raisins. Boy, that cuts in on my diet. I eat raisins about every day. Love them. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from seed to skin. What a wonderful food he's missing. But that's what God said. That might have carried over into Timothy's life. Who knows? Because he might have learned that that could be a stumbling block to people and he would not drink anything of the grape, would not eat raisins. I don't know that. The, the case but anyway Paul authorized him to do that do you have faith have it to yourself before God verse 22 happy is he who does not consume himself and what is approved another way to state that is don't feel guilty or blesses those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right he who doubts is condemned if he eats See that? Violates his faith. Not the faith of the Bible. Violates his personal faith. He who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Anytime you do something that violates your conscience, it is sinful to you. Doesn't matter what it is. And that's true with any food or any drink you eat. If drinking a Coke violates your conscience, and sometimes I think it should, that's another point. Don't drink it. It violates your conscience. Because it becomes sin. If drinking tea violates your conscience, don't drink it. If it violates your conscience. I grew up in a house that never had coffee. I was 18 years old before I tasted coffee. We didn't think it was sinful. Just didn't opt to drink it. And it was the yuckiest drink I'd ever had. I do drink coffee now. I still don't think it's good. I put honey in it and cream and I get by with it. And I had a good friend, a lady good friend, back in college who says coffee is the best taste in the world. I said, Linda, you are out of your mind. No, she wasn't. She was out of my mind. (laughs) To her, coffee was the best taste in the world. To me, it was the worst taste in the world. Because I was visiting a friend in a dormitory. He was having coffee, and I drank coffee. One little sip. I said, I have never tasted anything this awful. And I laid it aside until I got with the older boys later on. And I learned to drink socially. That's what I started doing at a restaurant. And uh, 
That's all right now. Whatever. Thank you for listening so well. You are a great class. I have enjoyed being with you so much. We have two more chapters to cover. And uh, Romans will be over. And if you have questions, uh, please see me or Glenn or the elders. uh, Them probably first. And and, uh, we'll see if we can answer them. Will you bow with me please? Almighty God, for the blessings in Christ, we give our thanks. Thank you for Paul the Apostle, who gave us so many great things from the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. Continue with us, bless us as you see fit. Through Christ we pray, amen. Don't run in the hall. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.